out in uh, Nevada, very near the uh, Area 51, we have a, a three-sided uh, formation that uh, the government has built. Uh, we don't know what you know use this is, but this is out in the Nevada National Security Site, and you can see this is a very sharp three-sided pyramid, very similar to what we're seeing on Mars. This uh, three-sided pyramid is in the Kander Chasm area of Mars, which is located in the western hemisphere of the planet. So it's about five degrees south of the equator, and that's where this formation was found. Very high-level uh, tetrahedral-type shape that we're seeing here. As you can see, this these three circles that are interact throughout the um, the pyramid, sh showing this very complex geometry. Amazing to look at this. everybody welcome back to the mars chronicles very happy we were able to pull this off sorry for the delay we had to deal with a little bit of technical problems but we got them all fixed up we are very happy and honored to have the one and only george haas here with us today this is going to be a great conversation i'll give you a quick background on the man he is the founder and premier investigator of the sidoni institute and is a member of the society for planetary seti research his research encompasses over 30 years of study and analysis of NASA and ESA photographs of Mars. Over the last three decades, he has studied the art and iconography of North and Southern American cultures and is a member of both the pre-Columbian societies at the University of Pennsylvania and in Washington, D.C. He has co-authored two books, The Cydonia Codex and The Martian Codex, and six science papers related to anomalous formations on Mars, which were published in peer-reviewed science journals. He's also appeared on the History Channel, Ancient Aliens, The Proof is Out There, and The Unexplained. He's also appeared on the Gaia Network's Beyond Belief program and with George Norrie multiple times. Mr. George Haas, it is an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I just recently found out about your program, and my God, I'm on your program already. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we're new. This is number six. You are the sixth guest. Uh, Josh and I have been, you know, working on this for a bit. It came up, came together pretty spontaneously, but we're really glad where we've come so far. And you're the man for the job tonight. Um, let's just say hello to Josh real quick. Josh, how's it going, brother? Good to see you as always. Good to see you, gentlemen. Uh, glad to be here as another episode of the Mars Chronicles talking about ancient origins and what is really happening in our solar system. Uh, we actually talked a lot about this in a theoretical uh, perspective last night on our After Dark chat on the Red Pill Project's uh, Social Red Pill. So really cool. I'm pumped about this show, George. I, I'm familiar with your work. So heard you on Coast many times. I've seen you on Ancient Aliens. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. and really looking forward to this conversation. Well, I'm, as you are, I'm very excited about this program myself because uh, I see that you guys are just obsessed with Mars. So uh, we're in good company. Very well, good. we're obsessed with mysteries and Mars and moon and earth. And I, I, I started out my journey trying to figure out, you know, what's really the true history of this planet? You know, what's the history of the human of the human species? And and then you start finding, you know, well, what are these anomalous things on the moon, on Mars? What's going on with NASA? What's going on with the secrecy? 
Um, and, and so, you know, I've looked at your work, George, and you just, you cover this on from so many different angles, that little clip that I put together, introducing you, it was a fascinating job that I put together because as I was listening, um, I was kind of blown away by the discovery of this three-sided pyramid. And I know there's many things we could get into. There's so many things to talk about. Um, and then the fact that there was actually, uh, the military had built their own, uh, version of it. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting that, that, that we're seeing these types of structures on our own planet in these photographs. We had the recent photograph of that doorway that you and I spoke about, Josh and I covered that, mm -hmm. but let's just maybe a little bit more about how you got interested in these subjects. You know, this is, you've been in this a long time and you've worked with Richard Hoagland. I mean, he's done some forwards for your books. Uh, so you, you, you've been in this for a while. So maybe just introduce people to your work and, and what got you excited about Mars? Yeah, well, um, I graduated high school in 1976, which was the bicentennial year. And uh, NASA had sent up two twin uh, orbiters to go to Mars. And we had the two landers that uh, landed on Mars. And uh, of course the orbiters took pictures of the surface. That's where we had the famous uh, face on Mars uh, that picture came out of the uh, 1976 Viking mission. And uh, that's really what started my interest. Uh, I can remember uh, news reports that uh, NASA had taken uh, a, a photograph on the surface that kind of looked like a face. It was in all the magazines. It was on TV. Uh, NASA actually had a press conference about it. Uh, originally, they said that they found an odd formation that looked like a face. They said it was a head. And, uh, you know, days later, they had a uh, an update on the press conference and said they had taken another picture of it and it had just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of forgot about it for a while because, uh, you know, things moved on 1976. There was a lot going on in the world. And uh, not until later on, years later, did I, my interest in that uh, reignite. Um, a friend of mine was watching one of these late night TV programs and they'd have these uh, uh, low budget commercials that people could afford, you know, to put out at one o'clock in the morning. And I think Richard Hoagland had a, a, an ad for his book, The, the Monuments of Mars. And uh, she had told me about that. And I said, my God, that's interesting. And I looked into that and found out about his book. And uh, that's what started my uh, interest in this. Good. Good. Go ahead, Josh. Okay. Josh and I are so excited. We got so many questions. <laughs> We're going to have to battle it out here. So um, let's start with that. And I think you know, for our audience, we've been covering a lot of these things. We had Mike Barra on, um, and, and a few other guys to talk about this, but what do you think about NASA? What's the reliability factor? Um, there's a lot of stuff going around on the internet about what photos are real, what photos are fake, how can we trust it? Um, when you think about NASA, the history of it, you and I were chatting on the phone about this a little bit, um, about how, why would they be covering this up? To what extent are they covering things up? To what extent can we trust what we're being told? Um, and then, you know, you, you've been researching these actual photographs with research teams. And, you know, I'm sure you don't even just rely on NASA. There's other space agencies and stuff as well. So what do you think about the fact that there's a lack of trust in the government? There's a lack of trust in NASA. So how can we trust what they're saying? Well, um, NASA has a long history right from the beginning with the uh, face on Mars uh, with saying that they had taken a second picture, you know, just days later when actually it was like 35 days later that they took this image. So right from the beginning, they were uh, disingenuous with the public. Uh, they, I think they were really scared to death that that's, this picture had gotten out uh, that showed a, a, 
a humanoid type of face on the surface of Mars. And they just didn't know what to do with it. And uh, when they presented it to the public and when any of these NASA scientists or scientists that are representing NASA that really don't work for them, but a lot of the press interview these scientists right from you know back in the 70s, that uh, you know this was a uh, just a trick of light and shadow, and it wasn't a, a a human face because NASA contended that if this was a human face, it would look like Elvis Presley or Frank Sinatra. It would be a symmetrical human face, and this is not what we saw when we looked at the image of the face on Mars. Uh, Richard Hogan was one of the first to notice it was bifurcated. It had a humanoid side and a feline side on the other side, so it was bifurcated. So it was much more complicated. Uh, to explain in a, in a two-minute segment on the news what we were seeing here. And most of the public, you know, they had a traditional uh, view of art. Uh, art had to be symmetrical, like Roman art. Everything had to be perfect. And they had no idea that uh, anyone would do a split face, a half face, a feline and a human type of image. Uh, I didn't realize this myself until doing my research. We found that uh, these types of facial masks were produced in Mesoamerica. That was very common for them to do life death masks, a mask with a feline on one side and a human on the other. Uh, we have masks with a dog on one side, an old man on the other side. So this whole idea of bifurcated mask was very common in Mesoamerica, uh, produced by the Olmec, the Aztec, the Maya, uh, even in South America, Peruvian cultures. They all did these composite, very complex, uh, not a symmetrical artwork. And that's the type of premise that NASA was going with. So when the average person looked at the face on Mars, uh, they had no idea what they were looking at. It didn't look like Elvis. It didn't look like uh, Frank Sinatra. What was it? Because it was a two-faced mask. So in your, in your opinion, you know, there's sort of a mix going on with this where we're getting good images the way you see it, but NASA doesn't want to admit what we're looking at is what we're looking at, right? Because there's obviously oh, not even exactly. just there's so many more things as well. Right. You can use as, as a second example, this uh, new image that they had taken of this little doorway, of this entryway. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, NASA has a long history of not getting math right about sizes. They had a problem with one of their spacecraft, uh, the Mars Orbiter, that they used the wrong uh, metrics or uh, the English uh, old me uh, metric system, and they got their calculations wrong. So uh, they're really content on telling everyone this door is nothing. It's like the face on Mars was just a trick of light and shadow. This door is just like the face on Mars. Uh, you're hallucinating, you really don't see this. Um, it's no bigger than a dog door. Uh, we have a lot of conflict about how big it is. Um, yeah. But if you look at it, uh, some of the people in my uh, research group, uh, William Saunders, he's a geomorphologist. Uh, he knows geology, he knows uh, what uh, these things uh, are composed of. And uh, when he looks at this, at, if you look at the high resolution images that they uh, have produced from this uh, little rover, uh, which are developed, they're very dark. You can't even see inside the, uh, the doorway. And uh, if you look real um, I thank you for putting the picture up. It looks like there's sheetrock inside of this. It looks like marble. It's very white, very bright. The sun's coming in mm -hmm. from the opposite direction. So this is still a bright interior. And this has precision cuts. This isn't just a, a, um, a fractured rock that popped out of a, of a hillside. This is amazing. And uh, they're trying to diminish the whole thing by uh, saying it's very small. They call it a dog door. It's, you know, it was it for midgets and little people. 
<laughs> but what I say, it doesn't matter how big the gun is. It's still smoking. Yep. You know, George, this is interesting. So we looked at this a few episodes back. And uh, when I went in and I will look at the mass cams on the rover. And I well, looked there, at there's the picture. like seven pictures of this. There's, it's not yeah. just one shot. They have seven pictures of it. Right, and there's actually a really good panorama that we that I don't have anymore. I know someone in the in the chat put the link in last time. If you can throw that link in with the color panorama again, that'd be great. But the pixels for this are basically 2.1 pixels per quarter mile um, per square inch. And so when we're looking at this, if you do the math per a pass per what they give you as a distance, it's about two and a half, two and a quarter feet tall. Um, uh, unfortunately, when you start looking at everything else in context, it doesn't make any sense. And when we were looking at this last week, we didn't only just notice this, there's another panorama out there, but let's just hypothetically say that this was 65 million years ago, that these artifacts, that there was some type of construction here on Mars. I mean, you have the remnants of, of walls, you know, you got 90 degree angles right here. You have the remnants of walls, which could be, you know, 65 million years is a long time for rock to break down and be eroded over time. Right. There's all kinds of other anomalies around this. But getting back to the size of the door, uh, the, the Vikings, uh, they used to build their houses. You know, Vikings, people think of these tall, you know, over six foot tall people. Uh, but the entrances to their houses were less than four foot tall. The reason they did that was because of weather. It keeps the, the house warmer. You don't need to have a big seven foot tall door uh, when you're dealing in this cold weather. Now, we don't know how much sand is covered up the bottom of this, uh, you know, how much is covering up the bottom of how big the door is. Uh, what we want to look at is if you look at the interior of the rock, it's very smooth. If this was a fractured rock that popped out in this perfect rectangular shape, we would see that striations also inside the interior, but we're, we don't see that. This looks like machine cut uh, architecture. 100%. And, and my problems with it, as per what NASA claims, is wind erosion is very specific. And if they want to say that this was done by wind erosion, I asked them to show me another example anywhere in the solar system of wind erosion, specifically digging out this type of doorway with an arch with 90 degree angles right here on the in front on the inlet and then a, a declining uh, uh, wall here with 90 degree angles to the base I, I would love to see any type of wind erosion that does that well they they have presented an example uh, I have it on our discussion board at the Sedonia Institute discussion board uh, NASA had presented to one of the news agencies that was covering this of a, a fractured rock out in the, uh, the Midwest somewhere that looks nothing like this, but they provided that as, as an example. And right. it's laughable. Uh, they, they cannot produce anything like this. And this is the same thing they tried to do with the face on Mars, just to obscure uh, anybody's interest in this and, and divert. And that's what they're trying to do with this. Well, this is what we're seeing with a lot of different things, right? Like, um, could you actually remind me, George, what were your papers on? Let people know about the fact you guys did scientific papers. They were peer reviewed. Tell us about the papers and what you discovered there. Yeah, well, um, after uh, my co-author and I, William Saunders, uh, produced our first two books, the Sidonia Codex. And then in 2009, we had the, the Martian Codex. Uh, in that book, we had a parrot geoglyphic formation 
that uh, was very interesting. And uh, we had uh, geologists look at it uh, besides Bill. And we had three veterinarians look at it. And they found uh, over 18 points of anatomical correctness in this parrot geoglyph. It's a profiled image of, of a parrot. You have the head, the eye, the beak. You could actually see a tongue. There's the ruffled area on the neck. It has a body. It has a leg with an elbow and toes and the uh, feathers going off. It was just amazing detail. Now, any, anyone that's interested in studying uh, geoglyphic formations and rock formations that are just false images, uh, most uh, like the old man in the mountain, things like that, uh, that are naturally uh, uh, formed facial features, uh, th they tend to just be a profile. There's no secondary uh, um, uh, detail into, into the face. There's, you know, there's no iris and eyelids and mustache or whatever if it's a if man uh, with the lips and things like this. It's just usually a general description. And uh, we had worked on a science, that was our first science paper back in 2011. And that was published in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, uh, which is an, a, a really good journal to be in for our first publication. And uh, once that paper was um, published, uh, we got the attention of the Society for Planetary SETI Research, and uh, which um, Dr. Tom Van Franlin was a member of, uh, Dr. Stanley McDaniel, Dr. Brandenburg, uh, Dr. Mark Carlotto, all these people are members of this organization. Uh, myself, my background is in art. I'm a sculptor, a painter. Uh, I'm not a, a scientist. And uh, so they, we got their attention and they uh, took us in as members. So Bill and I became members of the Society for Planetary City Research. You're very honored. And once we were members, we got the occasion to uh, work on some science papers with these other scientists. So um, we produced a paper on the three-sided pyramid that you uh, mentioned in the in the beginning of the show and and candor chasm uh, that was published uh, we had a, a paper published on a um, a viking head Whoop. we lost george we just lost him come on back george george He's will be back phone, in a guys so we'll hopefully we'll get him right back yeah. let's go ahead and do this though let's uh i'm gonna share my screen go ahead and pull these up this is the one of the sedonia images here from mars and we see obviously the face right there in the corner and we see some pyramid looking shapes over in here. Um, and George, uh, sorry, not George, uh, Richard Hoagland has done tremendous work on this, breaking down what he calls hyperdimensional physics and the mathematics used by these, the civilization, um, th the show that all of these are in geometric synchronization in the sense of how the face is with the pyramids, now, for the face on Mars, this is like the original picture right here. Um, this is the one picture that was taken, by the way, um, again in the 1990s that they came back to disprove the face on Mars. But if you start doing some analysis, you start seeing that uh, what they really did is just use an airbrush to touch it up a little bit and really get rid of the highlights of it. But, uh, George, we were just showing the uh, the Sidonia images Oh, I, I dropped out there. I'm, I'm yeah. back. I'm actually on my phone got hot and turned off. Uh, okay. Yeah. See, whatever can go wrong will be going wrong tonight. <laughs> That's okay. As long as we got you, um, we'll work with what we got. So now we're, now we're back to freezing up. And now we're freezing ah, up. I think everything's good right now. Okay. It could just be freezing on his end. Can you hear us okay, George? 
Okay. I don't know if he's going to be able to hear us on there. Um, okay. Just bear with us guys. We'll see if we'll give him a minute uh, to get his phone back up. He's been having a nightmare with tech these days. So yeah. we'll give him a minute, but with that Cydonia region, um, there's, Oh, sorry. I'm distracted because I'm just trying to fix this thing. One second there. Here, Josh, let me deal with this. You go ahead and show that. You want to bring that up again or anything else you want to say sure. on that? Yeah, we can look at this. It's pretty and, cool because this is like the main region, right, that people talk right. about? Yeah, this is said Cydonia. And yeah. so this is one of the main regions. And obviously, we have some pyramids here. We have what looks like more of like a, a three-sided pyramid or an ovular type of pyramid. You know, right here, whether this is an impact, I don't think this is an impact crater because of the shadowing. It looks, it's because if you look at the impact crater, the shadowing is inside the crater, whereas this one, the shadowing's on the outside of the crater, which means that this is a raised mound, right? Which mm -hmm. is kind of interesting that have a raised mound. And then you kind of have these, these formations in the bedrock. It almost look like straight lines. Now that uh, are, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. can hear George. Yeah, that that's a watermark. That's not a mound. Oh, okay, it's a watermark. That, that dark thing there, that with the light circle, that that's uh, some type of watermark that was on the uh, the Viking image. Perfect. Well, there's uh, there's see, an image of the face on Mars. Yeah. Well, thank, thank God I'm here. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, that 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 is that, that's an artifact of the image. That's not really there. Yeah, gotcha. It's like this one right here, this smudge right there. Okay. Thank God I was. So that's that's actually a little formation, but that circular formation there, that's just part of the uh, the the Viking images. It's a, it's a watermark or some kind of uh, anomaly okay. that was in there. That's that's gotcha. nothing to do with anything. And they're horrible, grainy images. Thank God. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so glad. That's why you're here, George. You've been doing this a long time. Um, and so yeah. when you look now, at all the these... Air, you guys were talking about these... Uh, you had the three images of the face on Mars. Yep. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. Let me show you again. You. No. We'll bring that image back up for Thing you. Thing here. Okay. Is that me? Yep. Now... Hello? God, we're freezing up again. <sighs> we can hear you okay. We can hear you okay, George. Now, where, where's this image of my uh, fan coming from? That's not on the your program, is it? Uh, no, we, we have you. We, we can see you. Can you yeah, hear us? We can see okay? you. Yeah, I... Okay. Oh, and yep. there he goes. <laughs> This is what live like life is like, eh? Trying to do it live. Okay, well, let me see if I can uh, tell him something. Oh, wait, his phone's his phone's all warmed up. We can't get him. Sorry about this, guys. All this jumping around. We're just dealing with. Uh, I think his just his his internet connection is uh, having a problem, so his devices are not seeming to work too well. But um, and, and that's okay. You know. NASA came out and they tried to debunk. Oh, there he is. Oh, we'll try one more time. Yep. Hey, George, can you hear us? I don't think he can hear us. Okay. All right. We'll just give him a minute here. I, I'd, I'd rather him come back on the phone because that was the one thing that was flawless. Yep. 
So, okay, go ahead where you were there, Josh. Well, he'll he'll have to take his phone out of the case. He can take it out of the case, put it next to something a little bit cooler. That should work. We got to send a pigeon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We were saying something about that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but the Mars door is we looked at this a few weeks ago and we looked at the panorama. And, uh, you know, I'm going to copy this link because I think that's the link I was looking for. But, I, I almost guarantee you when you start looking at the resources, uh, you can look at the mass cam. All right. So if you go in there, you can you can look at the specs from the mass cam. And basically what they're saying is I, I had the notes here uh, for last week. But. And here's NASA trying to debunk it on this one and they're trying to measure it and they bring all their math in. Um they bring all their math in and try to debunk it with a 3D uh, anaglyph. And someone just sent this over. Thank you for uh, empty time for sending this over. But uh, including one roughly 12 inches centimeters tall. Now, now the problem that I have with these images is if you look at the image, the image and all the things in the background, it doesn't really make sense that they would be at that close proximity to the actual thing. And so each camera has a various different resolution. All right. The resolution has a various amount of pixels that it's going to take per inch. And so you're at like really good revolution at one sixth of a mile at really good 4K resolution. And so that's why they could take these panoramas. But saying that that doorway is three feet or two feet. No, I, I would say that it's more like five to six feet. Because if you look at the proximity distance, if you look at other objects, if you just estimate or guess, uh, and I know that's horrible to say estimate or guess, but it, it almost looks like they're at about a half a mile range because that's what they're going to be usually taking pictures at because they want to take as much, they want to add as much stuff into that picture as possible. So they're not right. going to take 10 foot pictures. Right, right. Here, let's just check this out real. Hey, can you hear us, George? Yeah, I've been listening to you. I, um, my, my phone keeps overheating and turning off. Ah. Can you? Are you able to, uh, what, what can go wrong next? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. Let's just see what we can do here. As long as you can hear us now, hey, you, you know, know what could happen. Keep people interested. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this? Turn off your camera on there. Um, you see on the, those little circle icons on the bottom. Yep. I got a camera. Okay. Oh, you it's see it pulls them right out. Can we still, yeah, can we still hear us, George? Oh, we can hear him. We still got the audio. Can you hear me? You hear him? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, hey. let's do that. Hey, I don't care if people see me. I mean, we're here to talk about Mars. They want to see. They want to hear about Mars. That's all that matters. As long yeah. as you can hear us. And here's okay. the color Here's video that we, the panorama image, we're looking at. Can you see yeah, that image so- there, George? Oh shoot! Yeah, I, are these by? Is this the ones by Neville or the ones that NASA did? This is NASA. Neville, Neville, is it? Well, Neville does much better work. Uh, NASA's are very dark. Uh, you saw that little clip when they did the uh, the crop of the doorway. Uh, the interior is yeah. black. I mean, they just have it all. You know, the the technicians at NASA. The only thing they had to do is uh, make things so dark that you can't see them. Yep. I, I agree. I agree. And, and that's what I was talking about is if the rover is in this proximity, right? So if we zoom out, 
the rover's in this proximity taking this panorama right here, right? And and we're talking about pixels per inch. This isn't 10 feet away from this. This isn't five feet away from this. If this was two feet, then a lot of these items on the ground you're looking at, which you have really good um, uh, resolution of, are less than an inch, which doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I think that they're lying on, on the proximity of the mass cam to the objects and, and just kind of, I don't know. I, I've looked at the specs before on the mass cam. I had them written down in notes and uh, I was trying to remember, I think it's uh, 0.6 miles. You have 2.1 pixels per inch of resolution, which is a really high level camera, which means that if you're going to, if you're going to take a picture with that mass cam, unless you were focusing in on one specific area for a specific uh, picture, you're going to take as much in, in the landscape as humanly possible within that picture because of the amount of time to download, send the pictures, upload the pictures, all this, because they're high def pictures. And so, when I'm looking at this in the sense of proximity, we're probably looking at an eighth of a mile away, maybe maybe a tenth of a mile away uh, when we're taking this picture, which would make it a little bit bigger than the two feet. But that's just my my perspective in looking at the the analysis of the the equipment used. But I'm not a cameraman, so I mean you're the you're the expert on the on the camera. <laughs> Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Now we got you. Now Hello. You, you switched on us, George. You switched back to that other camera that isn't working. Um, I'm back on the uh, computer because my phone keeps ah, overheating. Okay. This is yeah. just a nightmare for, yeah. All right. Well, we'll just ride with this guys. Bear with us. We're all in this together, right? We love to take a bath. <laughs> it's a fish song. Uh, well, let's wait till he gets back because he can't hear us. Uh, we can't really hear each other when he's on his computer. Yeah. So, George, if you can hear us in the background, let's wait till you're back on your phone with your camera off. And let's see, because that seems to be the best consistency for, uh, for audio. Uh, we'll try that. But either way, these photographs and... Um, Where's the, I just checked his website. He said his website's been having issues as well. He's going through his own personal Mercury retrograde these days. It's he was telling me, <laughs> so, um, but you can go to the Sidoni Institute. He's got like a discussion board in there and the discussion board is loaded with all these different researchers and stuff that, that do this for a living. And uh, so you get some really cool stuff, but it's anomalous and everybody's going to have their take on it. But I mean, when we look at these right angles and these geometric patterns, and he also shows I, I want to get George back when we get this nail to do presentation with the photos that he has, because he also yeah. has all the, the geometry, like the actual mathematical geometry with the symmetry of all these different objects to show that this isn't just random stuff. Like there's something that seems artificial to it because we see this geometry in it. And I find that uh, really, really fascinating. I, I find it incredibly fascinating. And I pulled up Neville's I'm looking, I'm going through Neville's gallery right now. Okay. Um, and, and I'm looking for the one that we were looking at last week. If you remember the one that was really, really high resolution. Yeah. That one, maybe just pull up, uh, do they have any other good photos in there? Oh my God. They're, they're Neville does amazing work. Um, there's 3748, there's 3480, 3450. Let me, let me try to find it real quick. We're I was 
I don't think that's it. Well, that might have been it. Which, okay, let, let me let me look here. Go to Gigapan. We're looking at thirty-four sixty-six is what we're looking through for thirty-four sixty-six. Here, pull it up so I can. Uh... Let's see if you, oh, there it is. Okay, here we go. What's the site? This is a Gigapan, and okay. this is Neville Thompson's, um, and he basically goes in there and redoes this in a better format. Okay. But I'm looking for the 3466, and it's not in here. I don't know if he took it down or what. Um. That might be it. No, that's no. not it. Hey, George. No. Oh, there we go. He's back. Well, I'm, I'm on the computer now because my phone uh, won't. It's too hot for some reason. Yeah, no worries. Well, so far we can hear you, so we'll just ride with it. But, George, do the do me a favor and switch that camera off because it'll help with the bandwidth. There we go. All right. There well, we go. if you go over to the Sedoni Institute um, discussion board, mm -hmm. uh, I have both of Neville's uh, gigapans on there. Okay, let me see if he, I can pull it up. He's done two of them from two of the different shots that now. Discussion boards. Uh, if you just go to the site here, I'm pulling it up too. I got him. Oh, you got it? Okay. Yeah. Um. It's going to look all grayed out because he's having some issues on that, but it took. George, this is the first, you know, you're can. still phasing in and out with your connection. So we like right now you're good. And then it goes red and we can't hear yeah, you back to red again. <laughs> all right. So. Yeah, this is the one. These are the ones from the discussion board, George. Yeah, well, there's uh, links on there that you can um, link up to them. Okay, I got the first one pulled, this one right here, Mirador Butte. No, that's not it. Okay. That is not it. Are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, we can yep, hear you. We can hear you. Which no, you don't, 3460. You, you don't want to be in Neville's um, post. You no, this go, is... You want to go back to the uh, entryway. Entry, okay, right here. Red call entryway. Go there. All right. And somewhere down there is uh, Neville's. Up. And I probably have links. To, there they are. There's yeah. links. Yep. What you do? Um, I clicked on it. So let me see. You you can't get the larger image unless you're a member. <laughs> Can you uh, hear me? That's okay. We had it last hot links there. Had it last week. That, that's well, not either it. way. Let's yeah. just talk about the details. Yeah, let, then, I mean, go ahead. Well, yeah, well I we search for this. You guys, I'm going to search for this and see if I can pull it up. You guys, go yeah. ahead. I mean, so it's, just tell us what you what. Tell us a little bit more about that uh, image there, George. I don't think you can hear me. Can you hear me, George? Is a rocky one, boys. It is. <laughs> 2022. All right. 
let me, you know what? I mean, he tried to call me. Let me just give him a quick call. Yeah, can you no uh, entertain the masses for a minute there, Josh? Oh, I can. Very much so, eh? All right, gents, how are we all doing tonight? Yeah, so we're, we're looking at images on Mars, and we're trying to find the real 3566, the one that has the, uh, the full panorama here. And uh, they got some interesting stuff here on the Sidonia Institute's uh, website. And this is kind of where we're at. We're in the discussion forum looking at that. We're trying to reconnect here with George and get George in for those who are wondering. But, you know, it, it, it's interesting because... What we're looking at here, what I believe we're looking at here, is we're looking at a doorway. I'm a shit show here. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hey, hey, George, you're back. Oh, we can hear. Yeah, the phone was working that. good until it, it it kept getting too hot, and I've never had such a thing. Yeah, that's now. Are, are hey, you in British Columbia, David? We can hear you guys. Oh. Because my co-author, uh, William Saunders, that's where he, he's at. He used to be. All right. But what I think we're looking at here in the sense of Mars is I think we're looking at 66 million years of erosion over an ancient civilization that built on top of, of stone that carved into stone that utilized massive various stone monuments, very similar to the types of pyramids and sphinxes and stone monuments that we have all spread throughout Earth that we know are much, much older. Here, probably approximately not 66 million years old or 65 million years old, but more towards the age of 200,000, 100,000, 50,000 years old. And there's multiple different theories of what happened to Mars, but we can tell that something happened in the sense of a giant cataclysm, which basically wiped away their atmosphere or basically made it a desolate planet or a desolate moon. Because some of the theories even prescribe that Mars was once a moon to a much larger planet. And that planet was seemingly destroyed. And Mars now is this, uh, this, this planet that is one of the remnants of this old planet that is, uh, that used to orbit where the Cirrus and asteroid fear, field is between mars and jupiter and we were actually talking about this last night and it makes a lot of sense if you start thinking about this someone asked a question i think it was vince about do moons have submoons? and so do you have a planet where there's a moon around the planet and then there's a moon around the moon and some scientists say that oh no that's impossible you can't do that but yeah if, if our planet has a moon and our planet revolves around the sun then that's a very good possibility that moons can have sub and it's something that we actually talked about uh, many years ago when I was in my uh, 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 cosmology and my geophysics classes, uh, my space physics classes at CU Boulder. Uh, now, when we start thinking about this is what if our moon was a satellite, a moon from another planet that got captured by Earth. And there is a capture theory, but the capture theory supposedly takes place 3.8 billion years ago. And unfortunately, 3.8 billion years ago just doesn't make sense in the timeline that we're actually talking about here. But what if the moon actually got captured not 3.6 billion years ago, but instead 50,000 years ago? You know, a lot of ancient cultures, including the Greeks, talked about how the rotational orbit, the orbital period of the Earth around the sun used to be 360 days. 
and that somehow had to have been changed. And they had to add the five days, which many ancient cultures call the five days of bad luck or the unlucky five days. And this is why at the beginning of the year, which was normally celebrated on April 1st for a lot of these people, is that these five days were left to go out there, relax, take a vacation and not work. And then you would begin your regular year cycle right after that. And what if the 23.5 degree tilt of the earth occurred because of a gravitational force incurred by an orbital object passing by it at such close proximity that it caused massive upheaval of the planet, shook it, caused the, the oceanic waters to rise above all the land masses, wiping out almost all life on the planet, covering up civilizations, cities with mounds of dirt, Volcanoes erupting all over the place. And for five days, and, and here's the thing, is if Earth was in this 360-day uh, orbit and this object starts coming in towards it, the Earth and this object would start moving towards each other, which means that it's going to elongate Earth's orbit. And so what if the gravitational attraction between the moon and the Earth, as the moon is coming in as a comet, started pulling the Earth towards it, elongating the orbit? Tilting the Earth as well, because what we're going to have is we're going to have a slight tilt towards the gravitational centers. And then Earth captures it. Everything rebounds 50, 100,000 years later. Everything is seemingly normal, and they begin to rebuild civilization. This would give good understanding to why mankind has this advanced civilization, then all of a sudden is in the Stone Age again, but yet has certain levels of art and artistry, and they start to trying to rebuild, but they never get anything going. And then all of a sudden, civilization re is reborn again about 6,000 years ago. And we could see this happening with the uncovery of these ancient texts and documents and the, the discovery of ancient cities and stuff like that when people were looking for it. But I think that that is probably more of a, a true story of what happened here more, more recently as per what happened to Mars. And it probably that object that we're talking about, the moon, was probably some type of, uh, of moon for this other planet or was a comet from the debris from this other planet or who knows what it was. David, how are we doing? I'm good. I just had a little chat with George. Just so you know, guys, he's like the nicest guy. Oh, he's awesome. Just awesome. Um, so sorry about all that technical issue. He he's been having problems. Um, so what we're gonna do, Josh, is we're gonna set up a pre-record with him. Yeah. Maybe next week or week after. He's gonna get some photos, and then um, we'll we'll do a proper show for the man, just so we can get cool. the whole thing without all this stuff. But um, yeah, thanks for bearing with us, folks. This is the way it rolls sometimes. But you were just talking about basically the how history sort of forgot this lost chapter essentially or something like that. Well, so last night we were talking about this in, in the context that um, th there's a theory out there called moon capture theory. And it's one of the uh, moon collision theory, moon capture theory. And it's one of the prevailing theories as how the moon actually formulated 3.8 billion years ago, a object about um, two thirds the size of the earth smacked into the earth. Okay. And the earth captured it into its gravitation and the earth in and earth was very much a plasma form. Then it wasn't a, a hard earth. It was still hot and molten and the moon was too. And that's why they went through each other. And 
this theory makes no sense and it's already been disproven, but this is the best theory that they have. I would beg to differ. If we start looking at various different cultures, the Greeks, for instance, the Greeks proclaim that the orbital period of the earth around the, the sun used to be 360 days and then it changed. And now it's 365 days. And the five days they call the unlucky five. And this is why they rest and take vacation during those five days before beginning their week or their year again. Um, as well as they mentioned that the seasons were much, much different. And so we know that if we go towards the lowest dry, the lower driest period, we have series of ice ages. We know that the whole North American continent was covered with ice a hundred thousand years ago. And the question is, is, is if the, the North American continent was covered with ice and there's ruins on this continent, which there is. And there's ruins on a lot of other continents. Most of Northern Europe is covered. We know there's pyramids and stuff like that there. Then that ice would have preserved a lot of these artifacts, pyramids, so forth, that were probably there. And that's why they don't have multiple years of erosion, hundreds of thousands of years of erosion, if there was a massive type of climatic change on the planet very, very abruptly. If you go back to the story of Atlantis, Atlantis sank in one day. Now think about this. What if, what if what they were really talking about here? Remember all the, the 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 stuff they talk about stellar objects in the sky. You go to Thunderbolts of the God. They talk about how they drew plasma channels in the sky and twirling, whirling gumdrops and shit. My theory is this: is what if sixty six million years ago, a large planet blew up, and a few of the moons separated out of it. Mars became one of those moons, and Mars itself had a civilization on it. it was obviously completely decimated and destroyed because of this. And another moon basically went on a cometary trajectory. Now, if it's on a cometary trajectory over 66 million years, it's going to decrease that orbit moving in towards the sun. Well, right in the path of that decreasing orbit from Mars to here is Earth. So what if that moon is now a comet flying through the sky, okay, flying through the space, and Earth is turning the sun, and this thing starts to come in proximity? What's going to happen? Well, what you're going to have is you're going to have a collision of gravitational forces. The Earth, okay, let's assume that the Earth is moving away this way. Because if the Earth is moving towards it this way, well, it's going to come towards it, but there's a possibility it's going to run into it. I don't think that that's what happened. I don't think it was a head-on collision. I think that the Earth was moving towards it in its orbital, orbital period while this comet was coming in, and it came from behind. But what's going to happen is the Moon is one two-thirds the size of the Earth is at some certain point, the gravitational forces of the moon and the earth are going to start to affect each other, which means that the earth's orbit is going to be halted. Okay. So the earth is rotating a thousand is going around a thousand miles per hour in orbit around the sun. Okay. Imagine by taking like a rope on the earth and start pulling it perpendicular to its orbit. It's going to decrease that orbital velocity just a little bit which you're going to have massive inertial forces on the planet begin to throw things all around, including tectonic forces. Volcanoes are going to start erupting. Okay, so the moon starts getting closer and closer. Now the moon and the earth are having a gravitational tug match. And so it starts elongating. It starts pulling the moon in while the moon's pulling the earth away, elongating the earth's orbit. Not only that, is when this starts happening, is you're probably going to have pole shifts and so forth. And I guarantee you the earth, what would happen is you have a magnetic pole of uh, magnetic south and north pole of the earth and you have a magnetic and south pole of the moon and so the magnet magnetic forces are going to begin to start orienting towards each other 
And so we have a 23.5 degree tilt of the earth. We have an extra five days of a year that we're rotating around the sun. That doesn't make sense in the sense of sacred geometry that the Greeks talked about, the Romans talked about, uh, a lot of other ancient cultures talked about. And what, what I'm trying to say is what if 100,000 years ago we came into a collision with this cometary object? And the civilization that was on the planet was done within just a few within just a few days. And here's the thing: it doesn't matter how advanced a, a civilization you are, you are not going to stop a comet the size of the moon from doing yeah. anything, right? And so this moon comes in; it elongates the Earth's orbit, causes it to tilt, it takes all the waters on the planet, right? Because the moon produces the tide and floods the whole Earth. Now think about all the dirt and soot that would be knocked up during that, which would cover all these ancient cities with dirt. And then as everything stabilizes over 100,000 years, right, we have polar destabilization. We have extreme weather all over the place. We go into an ice age. North America, Europe are all covered in ice. Atlantis is covered in ice down in Antarctica now because it moved from the, uh, the equatorial regions down. Everything tilted, okay? And now that we are in a small ice age and humanity for, uh, you know, 50,000 years is trying to re recover from this. And so it takes 100,000 years for humanity to recover from this, to get our numbers back up. We have to resort to hunter and gathering. But we try to preserve as much knowledge as possible. And slowly over that 100,000 years, we uncover various instances of, oh, yeah, I remember these stories my grandpa used to tell me. Oh, the pyramids and the civilization and math and all this stuff. Because so you would think you think that this event that you're looking at here, people would have survived this. Some people would have survived this. And then could this be these underground civilizations like the fact that we have all these underground cities like in Turkey and other other places? I, I agree. Yes, I, I do. And if we look at it is go back all the catacombs, all the underground tunneling systems under all these major cities, you know, Seattle, Washington was built upon a, a massive catacombs. Paris, France, built upon catacombs. Uh, right. What is it, Big Lush, Turkey, or wherever it is, built upon catacombs. The Vatican, from the Etruscians, who used to live there, built upon catacombs. What were these catacombs for? It was almost well, and like what they people think about this. Just a quick on the catacombs, because when you go to the official histories of any of these places, they're going to say, "Oh, these guys, the Etruscans built it, the Romans built it, the people in Turkey at the time built it." But they could have just found it. And then remodeled it for their own purposes. Like it was already there, but Cultural they went in and retunneled it or added things or whatever, or just moved into it. Uh, there's that. So when you see these historians and these archaeologists speaking with so much confidence about who they think built it, I mean, half the time, even when we were doing an analysis on the pyramids, they date so many of these things, not even based on the pyramid or the Sphinx or, you know, any of these ancient structures. They dated on stuff they found around it. So like a pot or, a, you know, some pottery or some, you know, the burial of some pharaoh or some people were buried. And it's like, well, that could have been later, even when they were saying some of these ancient sites were tombs of these kings. Yeah, but maybe the, maybe it wasn't built as a tomb by the king for it to be a tomb. Maybe the king said, I want to be buried in that. That's where I want to be buried. Like that sacred place that was here yeah. before we got here. That's a left over remnant from these lost the civilizations. hall of the gods. Yeah, exactly. And I know some people are saying 11,008 years ago is when this happened. Um, we can tell by the geological record 
that the moon was not captured by the earth 11,800. It's a possibility. But if you had mass volcanic eruptions, mass earthquakes, all these types of things, there would be some, you know, it's possible 20,000 years ago, 25,000 years ago in the Lord Dryas, we know there, there was some type of meteor strike. We have the meteor strike in the Yucatan, which they always talked about. And now think about this is think about these meteor strikes that they say cause these great turbulences within the climate. This object, mm. if it was traveling as a comet, wasn't traveling alone. Now think about- There Pelagos could have been successive things. Like it could have been like the original strike mm -hmm. that destroyed the, the lost ancient, one of the lost ancient civilizations. I'm really curious about Cremo's yeah. take on this. But then later, the, you know, the, there's 11,500 or 12,500, you know, everybody has their date. But those could be later cataclysms that took yeah. place that were like minor cataclysms compared to the big pole shifting events that happened well before. That's right. And if you think about various ancient cultures and their obsession with processional time or the great calendar. That's right. And how they marked out in the great calendar um, times of destruction, time of reset. And this could be because we were going through a spread out debris field of an ancient planet. Every so many hundred thousand years. Well, and that's, that's why I've always been curious. Okay. So if we talk about how the ancients were observers of the stars and the heavens and the Egyptians and many other cultures were obsessed with studying the movement of stars, mm -hmm. was this like, what was the reason for it? Was it just the fascination? Was it just, Oh my God, that's the heavens. Let's study it. Or was it, for a practical purpose, as well as all the other reasons that they wanted to study to see when are we going to get hit again? Because our forebears warned us about this. Yeah. So we have to watch the heavens. There it is. Right. Does that make more sense? It, it does. Because, you know, what, dude, I took uh, um, an astro um, astro astrology class in, at CU Boulder. And uh, I met one of the um, world renowned um, uh, um, astronomers who deals in astro astronomy or ancient, ancient astro astronomy or ancient astronomy. Okay. For it was, uh, I want to say astro theology, but it wasn't astro theology. It was like a, it was a astro um, ancient astrology class. Okay. And I, I met and talked to, and actually gave much information to this guy. He's uh, he's in his eighties. Now he was the mentor of my professor. Um, and he actually invited me to come speak at a conference in um, South America because of the information that I gave him. And what I gave him was simply information pertaining to the 40 days and the 40 nights and really what this represents in the sense of the sun and Saturn chasing each other, Saturn being Satan, the sun being Jesus, and how this all comes to the pinnacle climax of the crossing over the Tropic of Capricorn. And he goes, I never knew this. And I showed it to him. He's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, you, you need to write a paper on this. And I'm like, I'm OK. You can write the paper, though. Like, I don't I was not I wasn't into that stuff then. But but when we start looking at this. A lot of what they talked about was our, our ancient ancestors worshipped the stars because they were dependent upon it for food and agriculture. They needed to know when to plant. Listen, dude, you know when to plant when it starts getting warm. You know when summer comes and spring comes. You don't need the stars in, in ancient monuments to tell you when spring's here, okay? Yeah, what if it these ancient monuments are partially a map? They're a map of the heavens. 
There you go. It's a map of the heavens and a map of their time prior. What I'm thinking here, honestly, David, is that they built these types of temples, like the, the mapping out all these things as reminders to cultures to come of who they were, of what processional age that they lived in. Okay. Cause that's an easy way to mark civilization is if you're, if you're a, an advanced civilization that has 10,000 people left on the planet and you're trying to rebuild and everybody's coming out of the catacombs, how do you preserve your knowledge? You start teaching this ancient geometry, the sacred mathematics, and you embed it within the structures of your culture. Right. And what you also do is you put the warnings in there and you put the memory of those cultures. And so one of the things that you would do is throughout time, is that if you're a culture that's highly advanced in a processional age and you are building monuments, like you have vast cities and you know that a cataclysm is going to come, you mark out those monuments on processional ages. So you have one monument that is going to sit directly here at the point of sunrise on the, uh, the fall solstice. Right? No, not the fall solstice. The, the fall equinox. Okay? in the processional age of Leo. Okay. Because that the person who's intelligent comes back and looks at this and knows this knowledge, even though it's been a game of telephone for 50,000 years, they know this knowledge. They come back and they look at that and they say, Hey, well, this lines up actually directly East where the sun would rise at the exact point in the age of Leo. Hmm. So that means that we can date them back to this point in time or that so they're it was dating a- ages. They're not just dating when do we plant crops? Right. It's they're dating the age because they're trying to, well, it's a map, but it's also, I think they're also trying to calculate for the next possible cataclysm, right? That's exactly it too. And so the Mayan calendar um, ended in what they would call the apocalypse. And we've heard this word apocalypse multiple times. We have revelations. Um, I, I have some big problems with revelations, particularly. Um did you know the word angel is referenced 12 times in, in uh, revelations? Now, a lot of people say that the word ang- angel actually derives from the word angle. Okay. Right. Now there's 12. What do we also have in the sky? 12, what? 12 constellations. Well, in there's the more, but that's the official 12. Yeah. Right. And each one of those constellations you could break up in a circular grid padded around you at different angles, angles and angles give you, Measurement. Measurement of what? Time. Revelations talks about end of days. And so now we start seeing various different cultures have this correspondence towards end days, towards some type of cataclysm. Now, what I'm thinking is, think what would happen if a massive Jupiter side, let's say that there was a planet, Tiamat, okay, that was 92 million or what, 80, 68 million miles away from us, okay? And this thing got destroyed, blown to pieces. Stuff goes everywhere, okay? You're going to have a debris trail spread millions upon millions of miles, okay, orbiting around the sun plus declinating its orbit every year. Small, minute. Over 66 million years, eventually, some of those pieces, because you got to remember, if if they explode outwardly, they're going to be flying at massive velocities. They're not going to be going 20,000 miles per hour like a normal comet. They're going to be going hundreds of thousands of miles per hour. And there's no resistance in space, so there's nothing really slowing them down. And so they're declinating their orbit. In over 66 million years, we probably passed through that debris trail hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of times. 
And there's probably a sequence within the processional cycle, 20,000 years, 10,000 years, that we come within that. And I know we go around the sun each time each year, right? But if you think that if you had a destruction of a planet, right? And all the debris, the, the biggest debris comes out first. The, the second largest debris comes out second. The third largest debris comes right. out third, right? And it starts spreading out. Now we have the Ceres asteroid belt, that whole field. So a lot of it went that way and got stuck between Mars and Jupiter. Well, what about happened to the other side of that asteroid field? If it came out from a planet and it exploded this way, but well, we had the asteroid belt, where's the rest of that debris? We've been running into it for 66 million years and it's been destroying civilization every so many thousand years and every civilization comes up, you know, they, they develop for 20,000 years or 8,000 years and they start realizing, Oh my God, this is a cycle that's happening. We need to warn people about it. Let's build it into stone because stone isn't going to die off over time. And so this gives rise to many different types of high tech advanced civilizations. Now think about this. Go Here, just back. pause for a sec, Josh, yeah. cause I got a quick thought as you're talking there. This, and I don't know, but like, this sounds a little bit like what we hear about this planet X thing. Maybe it's not a planet that keeps cycling through. Maybe it's just like what you're saying. We keep running through these different fields that are still the res the remnants of this lost planet. Yep. It's not Absolutely. an actual planet. It's something well, planet that's a X was Tiamat. And maybe that's what Zachariah Stitchin misinterpreted is it wasn't a planet. It was a destroyed planet. That's interesting. I've never thought about it like that. And You're what in my it, mind. Yeah. Well, think about the Vedas, right? The Vedic people. Do you know the story that so the the Indian people, they don't claim their culture. Their culture was given to them by the mm -hmm. Vedas who came over the Caucasus Mountains, okay? So came over the Caucasus Mountains into India and they gave them agriculture, they gave them astronomy, they gave them mathematics, and they taught them everything. Now, think about this. This is 8,000 years ago that the Murata, the Murata Bartha was written, okay? This is the book explaining what happened. This isn't saying that this is when it happened. And that's one context we also have to remind ourselves about. Is Just because a book is 8,000 years old doesn't mean that's when it happened. That's just telling us what happened. What happened could have happened 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 years ago. Now, if you go to the Rig Veda and you start talking about Rama and all the fights in the sky and the lightning bolts exchange, what if these were asteroids and meteorites falling down as we go through this big debris field, right? The Vedas come in. What if they were in the catacombs? What if they were hiding within the mountains for 20,000 years and they decided to venture out and they found humanity still alive, and but they're uncultured, they're uneducated. And they have been underneath in these catacombs and these underground tunnel systems for 20,000 years, and their civilization hasn't stopped. This reminds me of what Tolkien wrote in with the dwarf race, where they had the, the halls of Moria. Remember, they were in a mountain, mm -hmm. and they were in there, and that's where there's whole there was like this vast culture that was there, and then it eventually got taken over by the orcs or whatever. Yep. But this idea that there was underground cultures, right? So I did a show with Tessarian a while back where we called it fallen angels and the underground world. So it was the idea of like above and below, right? So right. fallen angels, angles, planets, meteors, whatever. Um, and then the fact that you had all these stories of people coming like in the myths, 
you know, whether you're talking the, the Tolt, I think it was the Toltecs or I can't, different, different cultures have come out and spoken in their myths about people coming from within the earth, yep. coming from inside. And maybe that's them recounting the fact that these people are crawling out from their safe havens that they're in these catacomb like places and then recounting their knowledge because many times they would say these people were the bringers of knowledge. They yeah. didn't just come from the sky. They came from inner from underground basically. Well, yeah, they had retained the knowledge over countless centuries. Now, do you remember the story of the brother and the sister? I think this was in Europe. Um, they were found lost wandering in the woods and they were green. This is oh, written green. about yeah, the green, the green children. Hold on, let me find it. Um, mystery green. Here, pull that up. I've got a little quote found. here just for people on um this is from yep. this is from Michael Sarian's book, comes from Connor McDarry, okay, another Irish writer. And he's saying just about the uh the history, how everybody's wrong about history. He says the generally accepted history of ancient times, such as is found on the shelves of our libraries and taught in our schools is mostly fiction. Some wonderfully clever writers have been led astray by these deceptions of history. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of shows like when we're here speculating about what could have happened, trust me, your top academics and historians are also speculating. Now we're all speculating on evidence and some people can argue who has more evidence and who doesn't. But um, the whole purpose of this entire series is to tell you, the listener, that you are free to go and inquire into these matters and to listen to these other points of view and think about it and then look at the evidence. And then maybe we can start getting some fresh, some fresh ideas into this because when we're looking at, I mean, just think about the age. I think of my age, Josh, I'm 40 and I have trouble remembering when I was 10 years old, what was happening, you know, mm -hmm. imagine trying to remember as a species where nobody lives more than a hundred years old. Like your wisest elder is like a 90 year old guy. And then that's it. Right. But the span of history is thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. And so when we're talking about like recording history and then trying to say, tell all the kids as they're growing up, oh, this is the real history. Don't listen to those guys. It's like, well, how the fuck do you know anything? You don't even like we know what we know, but we what's the basis of what we know? And there's so much that's missing. And it's so all much lies and myths, you know, yeah. it, it is. Uh, this is the legend of the green children of wood uh, of Woolpit. Concerns two children of unusual skin color who re uh, reportedly appeared in a village of Wool Woolpit, Suffolk, England, sometime in the 12th century, perhaps during the reign of King Stephen. The children, brother and sister, were generally normal uh, appearance except for the green color of their skin. They spoke in an unknown language would eat only raw broad beans. Eventually, they learned to eat other food and lost their green color. But the boy was sickly and died soon after his sister was baptized. The girl adjusted to her new life. She was considered rather loose and wanton in her conduct. After she learned to speak English, the girl explained that she and her brother came from a land where the sun never shone. According to the one version of the story, she said that everything there was green. According to another, she said it was called St. Martin's Land. Now, if you live in catacombs, tunnel systems below the earth, there's water, right? But it's deep, deep well water, right? What is one, what is one mineral or element that that water is going to be highly rich in that is deep within the earth? Copper. You know what copper does to your, your skin? 
turns it green when you have a lot of copper in your system. They even say here that they learned to eat other foods and eventually the green went away. The brother died actually very, very soon, but the girl survived. Now, what happens is she's drinking fresh water that is not copper dope, doped, right? And all of a sudden the green goes away because she flushes it out of her system, which proves that she came from some type of underground civilization. As you're talking about underground, so that's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that story. But there, this mm -hmm. is the thing. There's so many of them. That's what's crazy. Yep. Now, it could all just be campfire stories, folks. But what if it's more? Here, check this out. Did you know about the 1934 or, article from the Los Angeles Times? Never seen this shit. 1934. Lizard people's oh, okay. catacomb city hunted. So legitimately what? in the thirties yeah, and they were reporting this in LA. I don't know if I told you the story about when I went to LA and the driver of one of the cars was just random. He didn't even know what I was there for. And he starts telling me about the underground catacomb lizard people. Dude, well, I what didn't if, say it. What if, what if the lizard people were the same people that were just human beings that were drinking uh, highly mineralized water that was turning their skin green? Yeah. They might not have looked rip, looked lizard like. Yeah. It could have just been uh, something that people started to call them, right? Yeah. And what, what if this is where the whole lizard legends come from? And it's just yeah. this highly advanced civilization that lived underground that their primary water source for thousands of years was water with high mineral content, copper, iron, silver. Look at that. That is crazy. I just love like old stuff, right? Because... I'm going to, I don't know if I can even read this. The hustle and the bustle of the modern existence stands above the city of catacombs. So under LA, it's a city of catacombs. Well, hold which on, I hold think on. it says right here, engineer sinks shaft under Fort Mill Hill to find maze of tunnels and priceless treasures of legendary inhabitants. Now Fort Moore is a army base. Huh. Hold on, Fort Moore. I gotta find this out. Let's see if this is an active military base. This underground stuff is crazy. Like, actually, I want to pull up um Darren. Sorry guys, we're kind of going off the cuff here, but yep. it always gets interesting. Trust me. Ah, I like them. All right. Okay, I'm just gonna pull up some of these images. Okay, so we've been talking about it a lot. I didn't ever get a chance to show you the images. So this is Derinkuyu, Turkey, okay? There's mm -hmm. stuff like this in a lot of different locations. And it's incredible when you really think about how this was achieved, how these chambers were dug. Like, look at the, this is, this is kind of like a map version. Oh, come on. yeah, okay. Look at that. Yeah. Like, look at how many people would have been, look at all the digging that would have been done. How are they doing this, right? The air shafts, the amount of people that it would have housed, the fact that they had stables for animals. Yeah, And you'd only build something. 1963, a man knocked down a yeah. wall in his basement. He discovered a mysterious underground city. How cool would that be to be that guy? Dude, you're just oh kind of doing some construction and you're like, oh my God, I found an ancient underground city. The subterranean city is up to 18 stories and 280 feet deep in places and, 
and probably thousands of years old. The Darren Kuyu underground city is the largest of its kind and could house up to 20,000 people. And where is he? What artifacts came out of this? Right. And this would have been later on, like from what we're talking about. Yeah. But, but this is what I'm saying is why are all these civilizations producing these massive underground tunneling systems? You know, the French catacombs, they extend over 30 square miles. They've only excavated about three square miles of it. Because it's too dangerous to go in any deeper. That's incredible. French catacombs. There's right? miles of catacombs underneath the Vatican. Those weren't built by the Vatican. Those were most likely built by a, a culture that predated the Etruscans that they just adopted. How creepy would it be to go in here? I'd love to go check this out. You just walk it- into just miles of skulls. Have you ever thought about the logic of the story that they tell? It's not logical. This looks it, like it's illogical. They buried the victims of the cataclysms. The black, well, well. So the, the uh, what they actually say is that the black plague was ramping through. So ten Jesuit priests basically started burning the bodies and taking all the bones down into the catacombs, and they would formulate them into these different designs. Okay. Now, like I just said. Only three square miles of the catacombs have been excavated, okay? And all those three square miles are walled with all those bones. David, the problem with that is there's an estimated six million people buried in the catacombs in that three square miles, okay? Now, the full catacombs are riddled with those same bones. So if there's 30 square miles and we have three square miles excavated, that's a factor of 10. Six million people in that three square miles, multiply that times 10, that's 60 million people. The population of France was 380,000 back during the Black Plague. The population of Europe was 3.5 million. There's approximately 60 million people buried in the French catacombs. That don't make any sense. That takes a lot of Jesuits. And the fact that they wanted to put them all up in a big display, you know, who, who are we talking about here anyways? Unless it's a memorial for those people. That's right. Who died during the great cataclysm. That's right. And, and what the if the dark... Is... Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, what were you saying? I was going to say, what if the dark age is the 500-year lapse of time that we've lost in history was actually our, our uh, the last cataclysm that happened? Interesting. And then they decided after they came back from that, right, to just lie about history. And control the world from that point forth. They're definitely lying about history. Oh, They're definitely lying about history. Vatican. Absolutely. I'm going to do the Vatican. I want to see these ones. The catacombs oh, yeah. of the Vatican. Oh, man. Look at this. What do these guys know that we don't know? This is under the Vatican here. Oh, they knew the true history. They knew the true history of humanity. Yeah. And for some reason, it's so there's, that's what I wonder is, okay, so you'd think with something like this, with the amount of attention this subject gets in the public, which means there's a fascination with this stuff. Okay. Look at the Hollywood, what are the top blockbuster Hollywood films about? Mm -hmm. It's all about this kind of stuff. What are the top books? What are the top authors? What are the top 
subjects everywhere you go in the world. You can go speak, go to other countries. You're going to talk about this stuff. People all have their take on it. Yet we still don't have any official admissions on any of this stuff. Like we, we have what we're showing you, but they have their own, they always wave it off. Just like with the news. Oh, there's no election fraud. It's just a, like they, they, they just, they wave it off as being just nothing. And even these old, oh, the Mars door, it's only three foot. It's not even a door. It's just, you know, land wind road. So they're little people, little, or they went underground. Like what I like what George was saying too, about the Viking cultures, building stuff underground for yeah. different reasons. Right. Um, well, and you wouldn't make that doorway big. underground. Yeah. People are already building underground stuff because of what we're talking about, hiding from wars, hiding from political, religious persecution, but also hiding from cataclysm. Then there's already a knowledge within that culture of how to do that. So, you know, if we're seeing that here on earth, like if you go to places in Ireland, like Noth, which is right across from, uh, well, it's Noth and Doth. They're like twin little towns that are, have these homes that it's like the Hobbit, like the Hobbit homes where they're built under these mounds, like these mound homes. Um, and it's right by Newgrange. It's across the, there's like a little dirt road. It's across the way is Newgrange. And Newgrange, man, how blow your mind, the kind of stuff that's in there. But what I'm saying is that if we have that here and then we see that kind of stuff on these photographs, of course, we're going to speculate as to saying, well, if these people, if there was a cataclysm that wiped out a civilization on Mars or multiple, because now they're showing waterways, they're showing lakes, like the remnants of lakes. Mm -hmm. that, that was some of the photos in the intro to this chapter was how they were re releasing all this footage of these like alleyways where the water would have gone through showing that there was water. It was probably well, something there. So if that's the case, then what's so crazy about speculating that these people would have done what we did on our planet to hide from these cataclysms. Right. Agreed. 100%. And one thing that George did say about that doorway is he goes, I don't know how much dirt, soot and rubble has built up and where the floor of that door actually is. And so basically what he was saying yeah. is that was 66 million years ago. That door could be an eight foot door. It's just that it's been filled in for 66 million years with yeah. massive amounts of rubble and sand. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good hypothesis too. I mean, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Well, even a lot of the ruins where we look at here, like Puma, Puma Punku is a good place to look at. Cause it looks like a, it looks like a freaking bomb hit it. That's what it looks like. It looks like it was a big mega city or a big temple or a bunch of temples. And it looks like it got hit with a freaking bomb. Right. And it's just shards of shatters of weird, perfectly carved stones. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously it didn't get hit by a bomb unless, of course, we get into some of uh, Joseph Farrell's stuff. But I, I think more likely we're talking about it was destroyed by some type of flood, some type of cometary action, some kind of cataclysm. And, and I think and a lot I, of these are. And you wonder, that's yep. those pieces we're picking up. Actually, Brian Forrester got, would be good. Right here. We've had him. I've had him on him before. He's the guy that goes there all the time. I wonder what he thinks about there possibly being something underneath the ruins that we're seeing on the surface. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain picture I'm looking for. Ah, do we not have it? Um, damn, it's not going to be in here. Let me let me see if I can find it. Um, here, while you're looking for that. Um, I promised you guys I was going to show you this last time. I was talking about this Kaliza temple that has got me super curious. 
Mm -hmm. Just imagine this. Okay. <laughs> this is a good picture. Oh, it's small, but whatever. There you go. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, the freaking ads. Okay. Just imagine that this temple, and I know it's not as big as I want it, but this temple was formerly a part of this mountain range here, these mountains. It was carved out of it. This wasn't like they brought a bunch of rocks to, or a bunch of stones to carve this. They carved it out of this mountain. And it's so intricate, the designs. Let's see if I can get some more. And look, these, these towers. You just think about what the hell, these if these ancient peoples were just worried about survival, what yeah. are they doing doing this shit? So that's a nice one. I, I can't find it, but if you think about the processional cycle, and I've seen this graph, uh, um, Matthew um, LaCroix does it on his um, um, Moment of Time series. But they start mapping out. So if you take the processional sequence over the, the 26,500 years, right? And you map it out and you put it on a, a circle and you cut that circle into four corners, one line up, one line across. You got four seasons. Okay. And what they found out is you can go, you can go back and you can start putting a dot at all various different time frames. So you can say 10,000 years ago, we were here, 5,000 years ago, we were here, 20,000 years ago, we were here. And then they went and mapped that against geological record. And what they found out is that when we enter that winter time frame right at the bottom, there's mass cataclysms going in and coming out. And guess where we're at right now? Is it time? We're going into that winter point in time. That's why it's getting colder. It's not global warming. It's global cooling. Global cooling. Ice age. It is global cooling. Second ice age or whatever they're saying. Well, and you know, you wonder, like, what's really this whole thing we're going through all about with this pandemic stuff and all that, like, and this, what are these guys really trying to achieve here? What's really happening? You know, is it all just this dark, nefarious evil? Or do they know something we don't? I mean, it's a mix of both for sure. I'm just wondering. I'm just, I'm just speculating here. We Factor all this stuff in. What if they know something, right? So... I thought about this long and hard. And Jeff, my my best friend, we used to talk about this. Um, and we would do the uh, antagonist, protagonist type of understanding of this. Um, and you, what you want to do is you want to try to put your mind, your, yourself in the mind of Bill Gates or one of these elitists. And what we determine is they know something that we don't know. And so one of the theories that we came up with is what if they just put the whole world through this whole pandemic, the vaccine, killing people off to give them a slow, a slow death to where they can say goodbye to their family and reduce the population because of a mass cataclysm that was about to happen. That was about to destroy the whole planet that only a small amount of people would actually survive. And what they've done for the last few hundred years is they built the message of this 
directly into our symbology, our mythology, into our history, into Hollywood, in the media. And they told everybody exactly what was going to happen. But you had to be of a higher intelligence to go out there and observe, know the mysteries, know occultism, go out there, observe the symbolism to actually get the message to be saved. Or maybe, I mean, and the other the other factor is they could be wrong. Like they could be doing something based on what they think is going to happen, but they're wrong about it, right? Or maybe there's even, because there's also, got, to me, it looks like there's factions within their own little cults, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe there's different interpretations of what all this stuff means. And some guys are like the fanatics, right? Like, you know, there's always the fanatic group of every belief system. And those guys are the ones that just so happened to say they came to the conclusion. Well, looks like we're all, it's all over. So let's just do the slow depopulation in order to, you know, and then save the earth for us. Right. Mm -hmm. The other thing is a lot of this could be disinformation that they're putting out just because they want to control the planet. And they're just trying to put all this crap out here to, to tell us, Oh, Look, you know, but, we but had here's to, do the thing it to, on that. to give you a better way out because there was nothing we could have done anyways. Here's the problem with that. They already control the planet. Do they all like this one yeah. monolithic like or is there still competing factions that they're also oh, within their own ranks trying to eliminate? I think there's competing factions, but all the factions control the planet. And, and so when we look at this is they're not doing this for global domination. They already have global domination. They're not doing this to form a one world government. They already have a one world government. They already have a group of private elitists who who meet every year, who basically talk about policy, how they're going to be integrated in the various countries, politics and laws, and then they implement it. They already have a world government that's not elected. Okay. Now, why are they taking this to the next level? I think it's honestly that they probably looked at this and and this goes back to this one scenario that we're talking about. This isn't my thoughts. This is hypothetical situations that I've done in my mind and my conversations pertaining to this is if you knew that you had some highly advanced technology, but you cannot bring that technology into the consciousness, into the paradigm of human beings, but you have to do it slowly over time. And that what you did is a long time ago is you mapped out a progression of humanity where they're supposed to be as you evolve towards the utilization of this technology. Now, some people in this factory are like, no, dude, I want to hurry up and get this technology out of there. Let's hurry up and speed this up, right? Then you get things like the cell phone. But let's assume that they had certain plans for humanity, okay? That once we get to this point, now we can introduce them to the Space Brothers. We can start going to Mars. We can start planetary travel. We can introduce that level of technology. Then we go interstellar travel, you know, another hundred years down the road or whatever. Okay, but humanity has to be on that. Okay, so then they come up below. Okay, so what happens if we set these goals and humanity doesn't reach them? What if what if people out there are still thinking that a little man up in the cloud is shooting lightning bolts out of his ass at all the bad guys and that there's some bad guy out there who's lived for eternity and fell down from the, the cloud of the skies and 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 has his uh, his his little demons running around manipulating everybody. Right. You know, we can't have that type of ideology running the universe, going out there and meeting, hey, great alien, do you know who, you know, like we can't have that. And so maybe that's their perspective is that they see how humanity is progressing. They say, hey, look, we have to hit these milestones in order for our next technology infusion to hit 
where we want to be at in the next 25 years. This is where okay, you get but the only issue I have with that is that why wouldn't they just tell people like if you want to upgrade humanity, you've got to disclose all the shit that they got buried under the Vatican. You got to disclose all the, all the stuff you got to, you got to tell people, you got to give people a chance, all this weird, like esoteric communication. You got to be able to read the symbols. Like that's some, that to me is a, that's, that's some evil shit. That's not, well, that's not any way that's going to benefit humanity and upgrade everybody. If everybody's still running around, the reason people believe all these different things is because the truth has not been shown to people. So they go off and they make up their own version of things. And then everybody's doing different shit. But now take yourself back to the Brookings Institute's report back in the 1950s on UFOs and aliens. But even if we go Brookings, where we're the, just for people remind remind them here, the Brookings Institute was the idea that humanity wouldn't be able to accept the reality that they had discovered okay yep then and that basically we weren't ready for it it would implode civilization it would cause more destruction that was their fear there are actually many that disagree with them on that right that mm -hmm. humanity it was a better bet to tell the truth take the hit on what would have happened if the world actually got the truth it would have been less casualties than to drag this out and have war after war over these religions and over history and have the suppression of technology that could get us off of. See, here's the thing. You got all these Bill Gates creatures and all these people, these Klaus Schwab, they're all lecturing everybody on fossil fuels and we got to go wind and solar. These bastards know full and well we don't need to be on any of this shit. That we have classified technology. We've got all kinds of stuff. I think these guys are already not, I don't know if Gates is that, but the, the elite, the real guys, the breakaway civilization, if you will, are already off planet. They're already using, I think a lot of the stuff we see flying around is already stuff they made, right? Or back engineered mm -hmm. or developed themselves. I don't know. And so that means that they have decided that they don't want to take everybody with them into the future. Why? That That's... Because to me, it, it, we're sitting here trying to come up with all these explanations and chase these rat to try to educate people. And, and also we're all learning, trying to figure this out. It's like a big mystery. Why is it such a mystery? Why not just tell us if they just told us instead of going, you know what? They're too stupid. They didn't figure out all of our enigmas and our mysteries and our symbols <laughs> in Hollywood. So therefore, we're just going to wipe them all out with pandemics and vaccines. It's like, fuck you guys. Like that. Too, I just don't know if that. That to me would mean, okay, if that's what they're doing, then they're playing a game and these people are mm -hmm. profoundly evil and there's nothing benevolent about what they're doing because true teachers that wanted to benefit humanity would tell you the truth, right? Agreed. 100% uh, agreed. And so I don't know, but these are just kind of- yeah, I love these ideas. Scenarios. I'm just trying to yeah. think like, what's in these guys' heads? And then that's when I go, the reason, that's why for me, when we calculate all these things, I keep coming back to the fact these people don't believe themselves to be a part of the human family. Whether we want to go full alien or whatever, I'm not even going there. I'm just saying they have a belief system. That's enough. Just the fact mm -hmm. that they believe themselves to be more elite, better, cleaner bloodlines, smarter, more intelligent, wealthier. Oh, these, those little serfs and slaves. They've worked their day in the sun. They've had a good life. Let's knock them off. They're taking up too much space. There's not enough space. I, I, I don't. I can't see that though. You know, well, Genghis Khan. Well, you know, think of here. Yeah, well, Genghis Khan. You know what he did? He wiped out and genocided entire peoples that are completely lost to history just to graze sheep because it wasn't. That, enough that's space. a that's a story. 
that we're told about what history was. We're also told that the Chinese built the Great Wall of China, which all the uh, the security outposts point towards China. So, why, okay, if, oh, you have a, okay. if you're going to build a Great Wall, okay, and you're going to put a security outpost in it to keep people out, why are you putting those security outposts towards your own country? Because you didn't build that fucking wall. You found it and well, claimed yeah. it as yours. Right, but I'm saying that Okay, for even if we don't want to go, because we'd have to get into the nitty gritty of the evidence for the story about Genghis Khan. But right. what about the evidence of what we have of our modern day dictator rulers? Like, how do we explain what went down in Germany? How do we explain what down in Russia? What Pol Pot did? What China, what Mao did? Right? Mm-hmm. Mass genocide and death under the guise of we're trying to bring humanity together, guys. Kumbaya. It it looks like they're just going through a process of getting rid of the versions of humanity they don't like at the top. Right. Yep. And then they're creating new. Ver- What's this transhumanism stuff all about? They're trying to upgrade us and try to, you know, get us ready to go travel the stars or something. But in the process, they're going to wipe out the vast majority of humanity. I don't it see. Doesn't make any sense. I, it doesn't make sense. And so that's why, you know, one of the theories that I proposed, David, is that they're not he- they're not from here. OK, yeah. they're not there's from here. Different about them. And they're eliminating humanity and terraforming the earth. Okay. So thank you. Cause that's what my conclusion is, is that, and that's why for those people that don't like the whole alien explanation or whatever, fine, Mm -hmm. put that, just bracket that. I got to send myself this video and then I'm going to, we're going to play it because this, this was concerning to me when I saw this and I went and checked the, the real video and the real video is there. This is, this is the real video. Okay. I got to get up my, I got to pull out my email. Give me a second. Did you know that there's a company that was started by Napoleon Bonaparte that is still existent today? Wouldn't surprise me. He was another. And did you know that that company owns all of Hollywood? Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I got to find the name of the company. I I had it. I have it in my notes. Well, I, I hold the general belief based on what I've seen at this point that everything that we know and use these guys gave it all to us right like yeah. and it's been uh, like think about everything we know where did we hear it from well we heard it from our parents then we heard it from our teachers then we got it from our culture who created that shit who wrote that stuff right mm-hmm. this is this is about managing humanity this is the management program these are the managers and it's compartmentalized and not everybody knows it all is this the video yep okay let's play the video here now, I think with this announcement, we are making this dream reality. Okay. Can you go to full screen on this? Medicines, we know Watch his COVID throat. Vaccine, very effective. Very welcome. The logistics around that vaccine were not straightforward because of the new technology. Many of your medicines, we know from the COVID vaccine, very effective. You know, from the COVID. Yeah, let me see if I can make it bigger in my browser. Okay, let me let me do oh, this. I got it. Sorry about that. I just I got no, hold on. properly. It's the wrong player Go, thing. Play my uh play my uh give me my share screen. This might work a little bit better. Yeah, if you share it, you can share it, eh? Here I'll get rid of I'll get rid of this. That's very effective. Very welcome. The logistics now watch around- his throat. Rewind it and watch his throat. 
oh, what is it? I hate this version of the thing. Hold on. This, this is, is the, the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Barula. Okay. It won't restart. You have to restart it. Okay. Let me, let me do this. I'm going to remove that one. Go ahead and do my share screen. There we there go. We okay. Go. That's what we're looking for. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to make that full size. Okay. This is Albert Barola, CEO of Pfizer. Watch his throat. There's no audio for some reason. Well, either way, I, I've, I saw this earlier. There you go. Can you replicate that yourself? I I can't. I can't do that with my neck. But that thing was blowing up out here. What the fuck was that? What do you think? He's got like gills or something? Um. Well, you know, you go back to all the rumors of people being clones. What if they're not really clones? What if they're just wearing masks or in suits? Go back to the 1998 movie with Charlie Sheen called The Arrival where he discovers that these this group of aliens are wearing silicon bodysuits of humans and integrating into their society at all levels of politic, military, academia, and that they're planning on releasing a virus to eliminate humanity at the same time pumping carbon dioxide into the atmosphere to terraform the planet. I think that that's what we're really doing with this. Do you know how many uh, movies and stories have been put out like that? I was watching. Oh, have you seen Captain Marvel? No, I haven't. Okay. I still got to go watch that Jupiter Ascending. I, I still oh got to get to you need to watch but it tonight. Go watch Captain Marvel. They show the whole thing in that movie. Well, a, a big piece of it. And I mean, it's all, I know it's all fantasy and whatnot, but I just think that it's interesting that they're putting this shit out. Actually, all the Marvel movies are trying to tell you something. And yes, it's mixed with propaganda and they twist it and they twist narratives, but it's still there. Guess what the main theme of Captain Marvel is? Spoiler alert. What's that? Is she is, she's born on Earth, but she wakes up and has has had her memory wiped and she's actually part of this other planet. And then she comes back to Earth on a mission from this other planet. And when she arrives here, she starts having flashbacks of her life on earth as like a Navy pilot. Uh Okay. And then she realizes, Hey, I'm not an alien coming to this other earth planet. I think we were, it was like, you know, sector 52 or something that, that is planet earth. And so she starts realizing, Oh my God, I'm human. I was kidnapped and brought to this other planet, mind controlled. My memory was wiped, recruited by them to do all these missions. And she finds out that they were the bad guys. Well, she, as she gets to the planet, she starts running into these guys that are not normal. And she finds out really quickly that they're these shape-shifting creatures that have infiltrated the planet. And that that's what they do. They come and they infiltrate the strategic positions of power in government. They're shape-shifters, so they can look like any native species they want. And then they guide the direction of the planet towards whatever they want. Um, and... They actually said this, Josh, in the movie. They're like, it's infiltration instead of invasion. Mm-hmm. Where the where have we heard that before? Uh, JFK, Q, that's it. Infiltration. I'm telling you, I think that that's what right? If you can't militarily take over, or maybe you want to take over without completely destroying something, you send your 
economic hitmen. And then you send your jackals to take out the world leaders. And then you finance and you get your guy in the, as the puppet glove puppet leader of that nation. And that's how you control the, the game. Well, mm. we know that that's happened on earth with us. What if we're dealing with something bigger that happened already, you know? And then even if we don't go to the full physical, okay, there's all these shape-shifting people in all these places. Like this is, I know it's hard for people to get that. I mean, David Icke's been talking about this forever, but even just putting that aside, on a, on a metaphorical level, they're telling you the story of how these people, okay, did that. They infiltrated Hollywood. They infiltrated our intelligence community. They infiltrated NASA. They infiltrated the media, all of these things to cheer, to steer the world into a particular direction. And now we're just starting to get an idea of what that direction is, whether people think it's John Carpenter's they live. Well, and then there's, they live, which is like one of the greatest documentaries of all time. And, and what are they? <laughs> They're dressed up as humans. Yeah. And that's Take what you would do. Planet. That's what you would do. If look, yeah. if we were going to go somewhere and we're like, Hey, that planet's got resources. What would you do? You can, you don't want to just go destroy the place, start a war. You don't want to be overt about it. You do some Jason Bourne stuff. You do some infiltration, right? So I think that's what we're, that threat that we're at right now. I think that that's what's happening right now on this planet. Well, and from a, from a religious perspective, they would say, yeah, Dave, you're just talking about demon possession. Mm -hmm. I mean, however you want to look at it, we're still in the same room talking about this, right? We're still talking about, Something that doesn't, at the very least, doesn't perceive itself as a member of what we know as human. They might even just believe that they have a different genetic line, which this is where you get all the holy blood, holy grail stuff, the the preservation of the blue blood lines. They believe themselves to be a pure blood, a pure race. Whereas they look at us as, oh, you guys are all intermingled. You're all mixed. You're all this. So we're the cattle and they're the farmers. Well, Charles Fort, that writer I was telling you about, he had the idea that, um, this whole planet is the is viewed as the property of something and they put superior slaves in charge of the lower slaves Mm -hmm. so we're the slaves according to this the these illuminati's round table secret society cabal banker cabal they're the superior slaves so they themselves are also slaves right that's why they have to still do their service to the gods and then there's whoever the real deal is the priesthood of the Illies and beyond, right? Yep. And it's actually a common theme talked about in um, Gods of Eden. That's a great, uh, William, guys, William you got to read that book. That's a oh, great yeah. book. It's not what you expect. Like, yeah. God's not Eden. at all. Actually, when I first picked that book up, I grabbed that at a used bookstore. I saw it there. I was like, oh, I like this stuff. And I looked at it. I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those fluffy new age, like, oh, a bunch of aliens, whatever. Dude, that's like an academic work. There's so much yeah. history in there. There's so much. He he comes up, William Bramley, he comes up with uh, with basically the the brotherhood religions. He calls it the brotherhood, which is like the dark brotherhood, um, which are the descendants of the fallen angels, the Nephilim. They're the genetic, they're most genetically close to the fallen angels, right? Do you see how that There's, just, do you see how we just transitioned and, and all of a sudden you just met up with yourself there? I met up with myself? Yeah, you were just talking about is I think that these people could potentially think that they have a higher genetic variation, that they're pure bloods, and then I come up with God's Eden. And what did you just say? Yeah. You talk about the brotherhoods. You just met up with yourself. I threw in the God's of Eden, and there it is. Yeah. 
yeah. the brotherhoods that stemmed out of the Nephilim, they think they're of pure genetic orientation, more closely similar to the God, and they have the divine right to rule. It yeah, really well, Bradley, and, by the way. So I'm agreeing with you. I'm you know what I'm trying to do. No, no, I know you're agreeing with I'm you. Trying That's what I was just trying to say. I'm trying to explain it in a way that how do you explain this shit without it sounding crazy? That's my biggest challenge. Like, yeah. That's the hardest thing. And that book, it changed my life just because, I mean, whether you take the whole theory on or not, there's a lot of good stuff in there to show you the history of how they kept humanity enslaved for thousands of years up to this very moment right now. And we're are always asking that question. Who are these people? What do they really want? Who are they serving? Because they clearly are a religious group. They are a cult group. They have their own they're doing something because they all the writings, even when you get into Blavatsky and all these people who are telling about the dark brotherhoods and stuff, they would tell you from the inside, they're looking up to something else. Giuseppe Mancini was talking about how there's something other than us who we're the secret society guys. And there's something even bigger than us that we don't even know what it is. That's the highest level. Like that guy was like the Illuminati. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, there's something bigger than us that we don't even know what it is. So it's compartmentalized beyond even the human level if we were to take this theory on board. Yeah. And, and so and just, another just note imagine how big it is. And another note on William Bramley, he starts off the book talking about, I did not expect to find what I found. I was right. planning on writing a book on UFOs and this- No, it was war. He wanted to know war. Oh, he wanted war. to know yes. why people were killing each other and why war existed. That's right. what his- Right, why was. war yeah. existed. And it turned him into UFOs and secret societies. And br yeah, great book. I tried to contact him, by the way. I've, I've sent two emails to him over the past. And he's such a very, he's a very nice man. And he'll respond to you. I really appreciate you contacting me. I'm glad you love the book. I no longer do interviews on that book. He's like, I still support it. He's like, I'm just, I'm retired. I don't want to. So I wish we could get him. He's still out oh, there. Man. I think oh, his man. last interview was like 2008 on Red Ice Creations or something. That was the last one. But he's still around. He just doesn't want to do any public work anymore. But I don't know. Interesting, interesting guy. A very interesting theory that he has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um. there's a lot of crazy theories out there. And, and I think it has a lot to do with what we're talking about here with Mars, the moon, the earth, ancient civilizations. Um, I propose a really good theory, I think, in, in the sense of the moon capture theory. Um, there would have to be evidence of mass volcanic eruptions, tectonic activity. We do have that 100,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago in the past. Um, I think that, that it's a likely scenario that our ancestors were mapping out um, the great calendar to remind themselves and the cultures to come after them after they would be destroyed of the reminder of what happened cyclically. Um, and I think that maybe that, uh, um, that the debris field might have been fully depleted and that we don't have to worry about it anymore, but we still have this memory of it, this remnants of it. And I think that what's happened here is I, I honestly think that there's, what we're seeing happen on the planet right now is not a um, not a result of the ancient societies from this planet or the ancient cultures on this planet, but is an infiltration that I think started probably between the 30s on forth. Um, it could have even been, um, you the know, recent I, I, one. you're talking about like in recent times, the infiltration, because right, like, what, what we're saying is true. This happened already a long time ago. Well, yeah, what I'm trying to say is that what we're dealing with right now on this planet, the infestation, the infiltration, uh, whether it's alien, whether it's just pure genetic bloodline, the sons of the Nephilim, I don't know, right? 
but whatever that is, it's more recent, 50, 100 years. Mm-hmm. And that when we start talking about Blavatsky, for instance, you know, one of my problems with Blavatsky and her books is that she wrote all of her books through the utilization of channeling. Okay. Now, they would well, go there's into- also, there's all, the, I'll, I'll pick a bone there because there's also a lot yeah. of misinterpretation about that as well um, because of her definition. Don't forget, what was her native language? Uh, not Russian, Russian Slavic. or something, right? Slavic, yeah. Slavic, yeah. So lots is lost in translation. So just we'll keep that in mind as well. Well, and I go to like, you know, Alice Bailey, then Alistair Crawley. Alistair Crawley, he channeled Kanhu, Kansu. And, and this is an ancient pharaoh who gave him, opened the channel of magic and gave him the religion of the Lima, right? And so when I start looking at any writing, so like a lot of the mid 19th and early 20th century writings on Hermeticism, on Toth, on the Admiral Tablets, all of these, uh, other than like the Hermetica from the 1600s and stuff like that, a lot of these books were written through channeling, as they would channel Toth. Okay. I, I, I'm sorry, but the, the, I put a, a stop towards the context of information when we start getting into that level. I, not that I haven't channeled things, not that I haven't communicated with things, right? But here's the thing is, if you ever had these people that are like, you know, I channel, uh, you know, Valiant Thor and, uh, oh, cool. Oh, let me yeah. talk to him. Let me talk to him. Oh, no, no. He's only attuned to me. Like, I just, that shit, fuck. I don't I, like I that, do that stuff. But yeah, we, I we can't, can't shit. the one thing I'll say is, yeah, because um, there's problems with all these different writings in a different way. But I feel like there's a difference between the way certain people will talk about what that is. Because that channeling is also, when you look deeper, they're t- they're telling you what happened in a mythological story. Not the recent guys, the crazy people that are like, I channel all these different Pleiadians right. and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these old writers like Blavatsky and all them. They're, they're speaking through the mythological language that they're Agreed. interpreting, right? And they kept that tradition going. So you can't take what they're saying literally. And they no, even agree. say oh, that. Agree. They're saying, when I'm channeling, they're communing with, well... There some 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 channelers will say I'm not channeling another entity I'm channeling my higher self, but I chose to name it something, right? So then they'll say, oh, I'm channeling some archangel or whatever. It's not an actual physical archangel they're channeling. They're just cha- they're they're communing with spirit. They're communing with the inner inner dialogue. Whether that's a pure spirit or not is a different question. But the people that are out there saying, oh you know, I'm communicating right now. Aliens talk to me every day or, you know, even in these religious people, they're like, I just spoke to God and God told me this. Did God, did he text it to you? Or was that like an impulse that you had a feeling an intuitive? Give me his number. Yeah. Like (laughs) this is where the line is, right? Where we go, okay, are you actually, because if I go to a a middle Eastern country, they're going to channel different types of deities right? through the same process. And when I go to a Western country, they're channeling different kinds of people. True, but so, what I'm what I'm also trying to say here is, if you study the Lima, okay, it's Hermetic origin, kind of right in, and you get the context that maybe Alistair Crowley made all this up and kind of implemented the the law of one into it, right? Um, but there's certain things in it that you can tell are direct fallacies. You can go to Blavatsky's work. I mean, this is where the story of Lumeria and Mu. This is where these stories come from. Is Blavatsky. Now well, well, they, come, they, they come from ancient peoples, like well before she existed. She just went no, and traveled. No, she made up Mu and Lumeria. Mu no, and Lumeria no, the, was Blavatsky. 
No, no, no. It comes from yes. even before. I've got. The- I'd like to see. I'd like to see the the reference on that. Blavatsky is the one attributed to bringing about all the things that we know today about Mu and Lumeria. Right, but what was she doing? She would say she, she was also collecting. She traveled all over. She collected the ancient. She collected a lot of ancient. Very, very, stories, I'm not right? saying that she did. Very true. Right? And very so, true. Right. That's what I'm saying. And then when you when you also look at Lemuria and Mu, there are multiple names that were given by different ancient cultures for that exact Correct. same story. Right. So These she are just crystallized what she it into a mythos that people could understand. This is Correct. what I think. And I'm not and, saying she wasn't a genius, and I'm not saying she's an evil person because I definitely don't think that. Uh, but but well, what I'm trying to say, vague, right? But I'm just that, saying, but like, there was a Theosophist society that evolved out of it, and the Theosophists right. went out there and they brought out a lot of literature and context. And so it's the movement that Blavatsky created that brings about a lot of literature and a lot of context. And I think that this is where a lot of this information gets mistranslated, misinterpreted, and it's really hijacked by these higher elitists in the sense of control and manipulation. Right. That's my whole point on Blavatsky. Not that Blavatsky was wrong. I, I I don't. I take everything with a grain of salt. I I always look at everything in the the social attribute, the cultural oh, yeah. uh, points, social right? Mythological sure. points, right? And I try to validate it with supplementary and referential information. But as I think that the the late twenty late nineteenth century, early twentieth century New Age movement was one hundred percent completely hijacked by people we would consider enemies today. Yeah, but there's also the issue with a lot of these people where their work gets misrepresented and mistranslated by their 100%. own followers, right? Yep. Like, even when you read stuff on Krishnamurti, okay, a lot of the society that came around him after he died foiled a lot of what his original concepts yeah. were. Same with Alan Watts, same with Bruce Lee. Like, it happens to all these iconic figures where there's like the circus that gathers around them because all light casts a shadow. Yeah, so anybody that interpreted Mara, it on a high level, they Marachi came in. Or whatever his name is. Oh, sorry, what? What's the other one? The one other Indian guru, uh, Marachi, Marachi or um, he's got there's the a, a dozen the colleges, right? but yeah, Krishnamurti yeah, was my favorite. Yeah, but but the thing is, is like, I'm not even sitting here defending any singular one. I'm just saying it's important we look at all the information and when yeah. you look at Atlantis, it's like Atlantis, right? That word Atlantis. We got that from Plato. We got that from these accounts. It became this big tale and then everybody interpret reinterpreted it later. It's the game of telephone that we've been playing since the dawn yeah. of time. And so lots gets lost after that. And then what ends up happening is a lot of mud gets thrown at the source, right? So when it comes to someone like Blavatsky, there's the theos- Theosophical Society that corrupted a lot of her original writings and then reinterpreted it and created a whole thing. And then let's just say this. If any one of these people, yep. if they did this to Freud, do you know that 70 plus more percent of Freud's writings are not even translated in English? <laughs> They're not even understood. You're not even going to get taught any of it. So then you go, well, why, why is like the bulk of the guy's work missing, yet the whole world demonizes him? Because they don't understand what he meant by any of this stuff, Right. And so this happens to young, a lot of misinterpretations later by Jungian psychology. So I right? have a, I have the poems of Rumi. So right. Rumi was a Muslim, uh, a Muslim poet from the year 900 who wrote all this. And I start reading the foreword in the book and it's all translated by this one dude 
um, who had to learn the language to translate it. And I'm like, it kind of ruins it, you know? Like, like yeah, I what want if we, his it's like the Bible. What if we yeah. lose some shit? Yeah. Like the Apocrypha. Exactly. They just chop yeah. it up. Constantine. No, we don't want that. And we want that book of Enoch in there. We don't want any stuff exactly. about the incarnation in there. And, so, and that's a lot of history, by the way. Right. And so that's why with that's why what I'm trying to illustrate here, the point in general, regardless of anybody's opinion, a lot of our opinions on certain people historically are wrong. And that's the problem. And the reason is, is because there was the story and then there was what the people that wrote about the person later said, which are usually two different things. So a lot gets lost. So these organizations get built around it. Like even uh, look at even the Osho. OK, um, I got some gripes in area, but like, do you know that documentary series on Netflix about that? The Rajneeshi cults that came out of that Osho no, thing where the woman took over kind of like managing for him and stuff. Um, and it turned into this crazy shit show. This kind of stuff happens where a good, uh, you could even argue that it happened to the Christ figure or it happened to the Buddha or it happened yeah. to any of these deities that we look at today that form the basis of all religions, right? Is you go, well, there was the original guy or person who came with this knowledge and they somehow either they were just, they had a lot of wisdom, they had a lot of knowledge for whatever reason, and then they told the world, and then what did the world do to it? What did the priests come in and chop it up and then regurgitate it in a different package to the public? These elites, these dark forces have always been trying to own this knowledge. So if anybody does stick their head out and give the world the truth or give the world wisdom, what happens? A bunch of people come around, they chop it up, they usually kill the person, arrest them, or they copy them and say, oh yeah, I, I, I believe the same thing. We're just trying to carry on the lineage. But then they distort it through time and then later generations look back and then they demonize the figure, right? Or they throw it all out, not knowing that all this chicanery happened after they, after they died. Yep. And then there's a lot of misinterpretation. And I feel like that happens with our history. That happens with our religion. That happens in our science. Look what's happening with our science. It's the same thing now. So there's something that keeps happening where humanity is in a way, there's a lot of us that we're resisting the truth. It's easier to, it's easier to take the interpretations that sound better because it gets us off the hook. When all the great sages and mystics were telling us, it's personal responsibility. Yeah. You have to formulate your own connection to God and nature. You have to go, go into the mysteries and do the underworld journey. And people are like, I don't want to do that shit. I just want to have to go to some place on a Sunday and then pretend I'm holy and then say some Hail Marys and then all my sins are forgiven and I'll know I'll get to go to heaven when I die. That's the end of it. But the truth, the real truth tellers, that's not what they were telling you. That's what right. I'm saying. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, Krishman Nurte. Um, is one of my absolute heroes. And so people oh, who don't too. know, Jedha Krishnamurti, he uh, was raised by the theosophists. From this time he was an infant, he was, uh, supposedly they found him as a reincarnated god or something like that. That's how they located him. They they said he was reincarnated. They brought him into their circle. They raised him from an infant, um, very similar to a Buddha. They taught him all the knowledge of the theosophists. And it, 18 or 20 years of age, he basically told them to fuck off, leave me alone. And uh, if there was ever an enlightened human being on this planet in our lifetime, it was him. And yeah, you, he was, you know what I liked about him? And I didn't, I didn't even know about that particular history about him. But I knew that he was basically like, I liked him because he was nonpartisan. He wasn't trying to create a dogma. 
He was the most anti-cult kind of person you can imagine. He was he would do these public speeches, but like almost like begrudgingly, because he didn't like the fact that he didn't like the idea that everybody was just coming to kneel before the guru. He didn't like that. He critiqued that aspect of from yep. Indian culture, by the way. And then he had critiques for everybody. He critiqued everybody. He critiqued all the religions, all the politics. And he was basically trying to say the path of selfhood, the path of you, the kingdom of heaven is within you. You are the guru. You are the teacher. You are the leader. You are yep. everything that all of these idols that you worship were trying to tell you that you were. But you said, no, it's not me. It's them. And that was his biggest critique. And he said, that's why our civilization will fall is because we are easily led by our own vices, right? And these are those champions. That, that's why I look at, there's so many guys out there, like even Alan Watts, he was unique because he went into the Eastern uh, traditions, brought in like Zen Buddhism and, and he went through all that and then married it with the Western systems and then still came out and he wrote a book called The Taboo of Being Who You Are. And when I see that kind of stuff, where it's like these guys are trying to tell you you're a unique divine individual that you don't need all these handrails and you don't need all these saviors and gurus and priests and politicians. You have the light of God and the universe within you and off you go. And then these are the guys that nobody even read or study or yeah. look at because they're, they're not letting you off the hook. And those are yeah. the kind of guys that I like. And they're not just in the spiritual philosophical space. They're also in archaeology. We're going to talk to Michael Cremo. They're also in uh, medical science. You know, these rogues that come out and blow the whistle and tell you, stop listening to the World Health Organization. Health is an inside job, you know. Like, yep. that's who I look for. So the theories that I ascribe to come from maverick thinkers because to me, they're not as tainted by all the influence of the mass mind that's just trying to go back into the primordial womb, you know, of collectivism. But. Awesome, man. But guys, next week, I hope you guys know that we're going to have the author of Forbidden Archaeology, Michael Cremo, on this show. We're going to be talking about, well, ancient civilizations, Mars, the doorway. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. We're going to get George back on. We're going to do a recorded interview with him and we'll get yeah, that we'll posted. One with him. Yeah. yeah and, and we'll also get that. We'll, uh, so if you guys go to the MarsChronicles.com, the videos below are our YouTube page. And so we update that. That should be updated tomorrow. And you can go to the YouTube page and subscribe there as well, where all the videos will go on there. We'll eventually start streaming on there once we get enough people on there. We only have a few subscribers right now. But people are finding it organically, that YouTube oh, page, which is awesome. And I'm excited about this because this just keeps on getting better. We kind of went into a little good conversation there and and i enjoy it but it has context and relevance to what we're talking about because we're talking about the suppression of history yeah in that our history is is not being told to us and that if you honestly if you follow your inner guidance if you look within the answers will come the truth will come it'll be shown to you that's i i've just known this through my whole life and i know you have as well david so uh, awesome show tonight Oh, it's always fun to talk with you josh and i love these ideas and i love we go in some different directions and it's all related it's all connected all knowledge is ultimately self-knowledge. We're all here to learn. And I think asking these questions and going down these rabbit holes and seeing if there's anything there, I think it's valuable. You don't have to take it all on board, but I'm super excited for what we got in store. We have to do a proper show with George Haas. We're going to get him yeah. back. We'll get uh, Michael Cremo. We got some other guys in the pipeline. I think this show is just getting warmed up and it's always a pleasure. So stay tuned and uh, we'll catch you guys again real soon. Cheers, everybody. Good night.